Nerds of the World Unite! And here we go for our last podcast of the month. And we're talking about all things considered to be nerd and geek. But this time we're talking about intersections. What does it mean to be a geek woman and a nerdy queer person? Hi, I'm Fabiana Moliterno. You may know me as Fabi. I'm an English teacher at Cultura Inglesa. I am a proud geek woman, and I'm super happy to see the changes happening in the past few years concerning how women are being depicted on the big screen. Hi, I'm Luan Granzotto. I'm an English teacher, proud gamer, emphasis on the gay, and lover of everything queer and nerd. And this is the Cultura Inglesa podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Cultura Inglesa podcast. So, we are here. This is the Cultura Inglesa podcast. And this month, we're talking about nerd culture. But today, we couldn't um, finish the month without talking also about the Pride Month, right? And we're talking about intersections and a lot of pride. Welcome to the Cultura Inglesa podcast, Lu. Thank you for inviting me, Fabi. It's an honor, really, and a real honor to be here. Thank you, thank you. So, uh, my first question, uh, the nerd geek industry has been depicted throughout history as mostly sexist, misogynistic, LGBTQ phobic. However, we have been seeing a shift in mindset in the past few years. Can you tell us a little about this? Well, as far as I'm concerned, this shift has a lot to do with a societal shift, really. Society is being more tolerant of differences to a certain extent. Um, I mean, and it has a lot to do with, I guess, a core topic we must talk about, which is representation. How other people, people who are different from the white, cis, heterosexual man are taking up spaces. I mean, we're queer, we're here, and we have been here for centuries, mostly <laughs> sometimes being people being unaware of us. And more than ever, we're here to stay and to make things happen. Uh, I guess rep representation is the key issue here, not only in terms of like characters, like characters in fiction who are overtly queer or empowered women, but also on the higher echelon of producers. Like, uh, there are plenty of new game designers nowadays who are trans, who are telling different stories about not only themselves, but a lot about the queerness of being themselves. And, and also this has a lot to do with like with the way women are represented, right, Fabi? I guess you have something to talk about that. Like yeah. how, how it has changed 
Yes. Something that I have been very happy about is how pe- how women are being less sexualized in uh, in front of the cameras, right? So I was very happy uh, recently when there was um, this big discussion when uh, Vanda Maximov was uh, depicted in uh, on the screen, right? Because if you consider the Scarlet Witch in the comic books, it's very, very sexualized with, you know, big boobs almost going out of the, the, the clothes and very tiny waist and then Elizabeth Olsen herself um, together with other women at Marvel uh, she started um, this um, campaign I guess saying that I'm not going to play her if the the costumes are going to be like this because we have to talk about the story not about how how sexual these these characters have been depicted right and and we can see other cases as well i I was very happy to see america chavez in, in doctor strange being depicted as a teenager girl i mean she's just a teenager yes so i was very very happy to see all of this it has a lot to do with the new Shira series as well. Exactly. Like Shira in the 80s was this huge, super sexualized lady with a very skimpy outfit. I mean, what kind of battle armor is that? How much does it really protect her? Nothing. It was just for the male gaze. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and now in this new show, who is directed by a queer woman, and there's a lot of queerness in it. Like, one of the characters has two dads. And it, and it's, like, it's normal, it's regular, there's no big drama about him having two dads. Um, this show depicts Shira as she is, a teenage girl. Like, she doesn't wear heels, she wears sneakers. Yes. Perfect for battle. I mean, who goes to battle wearing heels? That's really hard to keep your balance with heels. Let, let us not even start talking about the, the costumes for women in games, right? Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah, we were talking about... forever about that. Exactly. I was very happy to see, for example, the lead character in American Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, you can choose to be a woman. But the woman is not sexualized at all. On the contrary, she's a very big Viking woman, as a Viking woman should be, with big clothes and everything that would protect her from a very heavy winter, right? So, yes. You mentioned the big buff lady. Big buff ladies are getting way more representation in media too, like that body type. Do you know Encanto, right? The Mm -hmm. latest Disney flick. Exactly. Do you know which doll sold more? It wasn't Louisa's doll, all the the flower girl, perfect, beautiful. No, no, sorry, I forgot her name. Uh, It's not the flower girl who who sold more, but rather the big big buff lady who was like the uh, one of the central characters as well. Yes, um, it's really cool. Yes, and, and, and her song is actually one of the best ones. Uh, I don't remember her name as well, but to me, it's even better than Mirabelle's, right? It's really, really mm-hmm. cool. 
Anyway, um, representation has been seen as a great topic to be discussed lately. How much of that is actually portrayed in the nerd geek media nowadays? We have talked about some examples here, uh, but you were talking about some uh, nice um, examples as well in games that you play, right? Yeah, like, um, as I mentioned, like romanceable NPCs that can be either gender or agendered as well, like um, like in Mass Effect, if I'm not mistaken, there, there are romanceable characters which don't have a very defined gender, tending more towards the non-binary part of it. Um, also, the representation in like how the characters, um, like characters of different sexualities, which are queer stories being told by queer people. Yeah. This is happening not only in the indie games, which is where you should, it's easier to expect that, but also in AAA games, as you have very well mentioned, Assassin's Creed. If I'm not mistaken, in the Greek variant of uh, Assassin's Creed, you can be whatever sexuality you want your character to be. You can be a man and romance a man, or be a man and romance a woman, or uh, be a woman and romance another woman. So it's um, so these possibilities are now open, uh, which hadn't been such like many, many, many yeah. years ago. Yeah, great, um, great times coming ahead, right? Yeah, definitely. Yes, and um, we know that there is always a tendency for communities to be built around products of interest. Yes, we know that there is this community, a very strong one, uh, that follows um, mangas, animes, uh, Japanese culture-related things, yes? Could you tell us more about these communities which are formed around the nerd-slash-geek interests? Uh, very, very briefly before we actually started recording the podcast, we, we mentioned very, like, en passant, these concepts of safe spaces. Like a community that uh, is centered around a topic of interest that is, that has been considered xenophobic, misogynistic, LGBTQ-phobic. They find themselves in them, their spa these spaces and create their own safe spaces where they thrive, where they really thrive, you know, yeah. because they are also, uh, they're together in that. It's, but it's very same old story. Together we stand, separated we fall. Yes. And this works for, for these communities, for, for queer people. Queer people are like that. Together we stand. It's always yeah. like that. You know what really makes me sad, um, and, and then this was something that we were discussing before, but very briefly, um, most people that are into nerd or geek stuff, they are very welcoming and embracing of differences, especially because most of us, we come from a context when we were younger where people would uh, bully us, but where people would harass us because we looked different, because we had maybe a different body type or maybe a different interest. Uh, but nowadays, um, th this the same community, the same industry is seeing 
a lot as sexist, as LGBTQ phobic, but because of a number of people that actually are like this, right? And not because of most people in this community, right? Do you see this in the, in the same way or do you think this is not exactly the, the, the reality? This is a great topic that you brought to the discussion for me, especially because um, communities tend to be welcoming. But when it comes to the, historically speaking, of course, when it comes to nerdy communities, their reaction to differences was not as positive as, as it is nowadays. Uh, it, like, for example, they would replicate the gatekeeping people had on them, how they were kept away from socializing. They do, they replicate that. That's the old, again, same old Paulo Freire, when education is not something liberating. The dream of the oppressed is to be the oppressor. And so it is pain, painfully clear mm -hmm. that it happens in nerdy communities. Those who were bullied and did not undergo a process of letting go of these former oppression, they will replicate that. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. This uh, and this reflects a lot in the geek industry, much as like nowadays geek, geek people tend to be more open and welcoming. People in positions of power in companies, they still are very um, reactionary, traditional, uh, conservative people. Yeah. So we, we're living a moment of transition, actually. When it comes yeah. to that, you know, there was uh, like in the movies, there was the Me Too movement in which sexual harassment was denounced. Uh, such thing has happened as well in, to a certain extent, and a little differently in the games industry as well, where harassers were exposed and women especially were empowered again to a certain extent uh, against those harassers. But still, it's a process, it's not over, and thankfully it's not over because there's a lot of room for improvement in these, um, in these products, in these mediatic products. Yeah, that reminds me of a great series that is on Apple TV nowadays. The name of the series is Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. And yes, that's an amazing show, uh, and it talks about these very crazy people that are um, developing a game. Yeah, and the, the game is very well success. Uh, it's very good. It's very successful in the market, and um, well, people are working on extensions to this game. Yes. So first thing that actually comes right in the in the whole thing is the master of the game. I mean, the president of the company is a man, but the talent really is a woman. And the woman is they never hear her. They never listen to what she she brings to the table, but she's the talented one. Um, and the game starts uh, failing exactly in the moment when she says that she's going to leave the company, right? But 
Yes. It's and a tale as old as time. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. And there is another case that the, this one in particular was was very interesting because there are these uh, two game testers um, that are two girls, and basically they just stay uh, in a room testing the game and looking for flaws. And because they are together for such a long time, they develop this friendship that, that blossoms into romance. And they are two girls, right? Mm -hmm. So then they come up, they come out, sorry, to the company because it's a romance story inside the company. And then the president, that's kind of sexist, he comes and says, like, but, but you two, hmm. But show me, how is the, the, the law of life between you? And it, gross. Exactly. But, but, but the president is to be depicted as this very gross person. Sleazy. Exactly, guy. exactly. Jesus. Um, and, and of course, you show that this is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, but then that's it, right? It's just for the case of the, the, the curiosity of people and their work as game testers starts being put as a second um, as a secondary part of their jobs and their relationship starts being what's interesting to everybody so but then of course as the 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 the, the season goes this improves this get gets better right so luckily uh, hopefully this the the show is not over yet, but by the end of the show, I hope to see improvements in all of this, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Speaking of good queer representation, because we have been represented in media, but speaking as a queer person, and, and again, I speak from experience mostly, I'm no expert, but I've lived through this empirically. So, um, I mean, as a queer person, I've seen far too often negative queer representation, like negative queer representation in the sense that we were, we were either the butt of the joke or we were uh, the first ones to be killed in a slasher movie or something like that. Uh, our opinions were never taken seriously, and this is something that like uh, like goes hand in hand with how women are depicted, like these minorities are depicted, really. Uh, and this has been changing. Like, have you have you watched Heartstopper, the absolute cutest TV show to be ever broadcast on Netflix? <laughs> it's the love story. It's a comic book adaptation. It's a love story of two boys. Uh, it, like they're in high school and it is so sensitive like it's so both sensitive and sensible on how they depict the people there their challenges the challenges of teenagehood the challenges of queer teenagehood uh, on a British context their, their English is also lovely, so it's it's a, something I always like recommend to my students for listening. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's a really really nice show, and it's very very light. It's light-hearted and light in depiction. It's depicting us queer people on a positive light, 
something yeah. that we have missed throughout decades of yeah. representation or yeah. uh, being shown. I don't know if like being shown is necessarily representation. Uh-huh. Uh, there is um, also. I wanted to talk a little bit about queer baiting. Please do. Are you familiar with this, Fabi? I- I've heard about it, but please do do say what what are, what are your takes on this because that's important. Yeah, queer baiting is when uh, there are there are that, like big companies of uh, or like screenplayers hint at merely hint at relationships, queer relationships, but they're not fully developed just mm-hmm. to attract queer viewers. And this is extremely negative in the sense that, wait, so you want our you want our money, you want our attention, but you don't want us to be represented? So that's queer baiting. And this is something that's more common than we think. Like, for example, in Avatar, The Legend of Korra, the relationship between Korra and Sami is a classic, crystal clear, classic case of queer baiting. They're not really together, but they are together. What's between them? You know. So, and this is as a queer person who has to struggle, who has had to struggle a lot with um, coming out, with like leaving the closet, with fighting for my rights, fighting like living through tons of discrimination. Seeing that like companies are doing that to profit from us, from our pain, from our from our struggles, from our lives, is extremely offensive. So my, what I really want to say is like, queer representation is really cool, it's really necessary. When you see yourself on the the screen, you feel that your existence is validated. But when you see this kind of thing that is just using us, using who we are, using what we've been through, just to profit on us and profit out of us, it's extremely demeaning and offensive. So yeah, guys, watch out for queer baiting. <laughs> <laughs> Lou, that, that's no wonder why you are my favorite queer geek person in the world. I love you. Thank you very you much for me. all of this. Yeah, thank um, you for um, this. So it's an honor <laughs> being able to talk about these things. Yes. for How Do You Say, the part of our show in which we ask each other vocabulary questions related to the conversation we've just had. Uh, And Luan, of course, I'm going to start with this. How do you say misogyno in English? Well, Fabi, many people use sexist. However, sexist is not as precise as another word. The being in question, this word being misogynistic. And it's a really interesting word because, like, it's that, that part of miss, the sense of negative, no. And gymnos in Greek means woman. So, misogynistic, it's the person who hates women. For example, in my street, there is this guy who's terribly misogynistic. Whenever he sees a lady, Either he stares with the with the wolf eyes to her, towards her, or he scoffs like, ugh, 
you know? Oh god. Needless to say, this guy is in my you should move list. Fabi, <laughs> <laughs> right. how do you say representado? Great. Um, you can say depicted. And uh, I remember that we used this because uh, we were saying that women are being depicted in a less sexual way, which makes me very happy. Yeah, so that's it. Depicted. Mm -hmm. Lu, how do you say mudança de pensamento? I particularly like this one because it makes me think of two expressions again. The one that I really want our listeners to keep in heart, in their hearts, is a shift in mindset, which is very, very useful in many, many, many contexts, like in a professional context. A company can undergo a shift in mindset. People, societies can undergo shifts in mindsets. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other expression I thought of was sh uh, paradigm shift as well. But this is, uh, this is a very philosophical concept and it's really interesting and it's a great way to wow uh, an English examiner if you're ever taking an exam. So, a bit of a hint here. <laughs> nice. How do you say, pode melhorar? Yeah, this one is, there is room for improvement. Of course, we have seen a lot of improvement in terms of how women are being depicted in the great screen and in the comic books and in this industry, how the, the women are depicted, how the, the, the queer community is depicted. But there is always room for improvement, right? Agreed. Agreed, especially because we're, we're constantly changing. Yes, definitely. Lou, how do you say bombado in English? Oh, this one. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> especially because that's what I want to become one day. <laughs> I'm going to the gym. I'm hitting the gyms to become a big buff guy. But I'm a very short guy and I don't gain weight easily. So this is like... A matter of dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Fabi, how do you say mencionar ou falar algo por cima superficialmente? We can say en passant. This is not English, obviously, as you can see. This is French derived. But um, you can say that when you mention something briefly, not in, with a lot of detail, you say, oh, I've, I've talked about it en passant. Yeah. And if you haven't heard these terms in our conversation, you may listen to this episode again and try to spot them all. Hint, they are very easy to spot, so I yes. trust you guys are gonna find them. Well, it's been a pleasure to talk about um, nerd culture, nerd geek culture with you uh, during this month. And I hope you've enjoyed listening. And I have to say it was a pleasure to be the host of the month. And I think we couldn't close this month in a better way <clears throat> than to bring such a relevant topic to our Uh, discussion here, yes, and thank you very much for the invitation to be the host of the month. 
And once again, thank you very much, Luan. It was a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed participating as well. I sure did. Yeah, you spoiled me, Fabi. Thank you very much for the invitation. <laughs> Thank you for listening and stay tuned for new chapters of the Cultura Inglesa podcast.